0: What is the difference between the domain model and the business rules? We're going by the end of this episode, we're going to have a, a much better idea of this subtle yet important distinction. Hi, my name is Eric Normand, and I help people thrive with functional programming. So I've mentioned this before in the onion architecture. Now there are three main layers. There's the interaction layer, where all the actions take place. This is interactions with the outside world, and then inside that, there's a pure functional implementation of the business rules. That's another layer, and then inside that, there's the domain layer, the the domain model, and things call in. Inward into that inner domain model. Uh, And I've had a couple of questions about the difference between the business rules and the domain model. Why does this thing exist in the domain model and not in the business rules? Like, where do you draw the line? So, I'd like to tell a story about why I make this distinction. Because the more I talk to people, the more I realize that maybe this is not such a common distinction to make. So, uh I'll tell a little story. And here we go. So, I was working for a company uh a few years back, maybe 5 no, oh, wow, long time ago, eight years ago. <laughs> I'm getting old. Uh, and the company did electronic signatures similar to DocuSign, where we would take a document, someone would you know upload a, a Word document or something, and then get it sent out to uh, all the people who have to sign it, and the people sign it, and then it's, it's you know completely signed and done. And early on in the company, I was, I was very early. Uh, in in, it, in the company's life, uh, we were trying to make these contracts very legal, legally binding and one of the things we started doing was learning the laws of of contracts I mean especially in Sweden. Uh, they did have ideas about moving outside of Sweden, but at that time we were just in Sweden and one of the laws Was that if you send someone a contract, you can't like take that back, right? So, sending someone a contract is a legally recognized form of agreement. So, you know, if it ever got to court, you could say, Well, they sent this thing to me, saying, asking if I wanted to do it, and I said, Yes. So, they must have wanted to do it too, right? So, it makes sense that there's a law about this. You can't, like, have someone sign something and say, No, I don't want to sign it. You, you're the one who sent the thing to sign, right? So, we enforced this law in our system. And the law, uh, the, how it turned out in our system was we didn't let you cancel once you had sent it. Right, you could cancel it before you sent it, saying, "I'm going to throw this one away. I'm going to make a new one," right? But once you had sent it to the person, there was no way to cancel it, and we got complaints. People saying, "I want to be able to cancel it. I need to be able to cancel it. Uh, This is an important part of you know our workflow," and so we were like, "But the law says you can't cancel it." So, are you breaking the law? We don't want to help you break the law. That's not our our goal as a as a as a software company. And so what they told us was, "No, I sent the contract." Then they didn't like some term in the contract. And so we got on the phone. We agreed over the phone to make some changes, and now I'm trying to send them a new version. And I want to cancel the old one just to make sure that no one signs that, that it's clear that it's done, that it, we're throwing that one away. Because there's a new version that we've all agreed to now. And, you know, I also want to cancel it so it's tracked, that yes, we send, you know, two out of three were canceled with a new revision on top. You know, things like that. Um And so we realized that. We were interpreting the law in this very strict way, you know, as engineers do, as programmers do. We think when something says you are not allowed to do this, or X Y Z means this, you know, sending a contract means you agree to it. Uh, you are not allowed to take it back once you send it. Uh, we thought that meant that you're not allowed to to basically not sign it, um, but you are. Even the law allows that, because you have other forms of communication with people. There's other things going on. No one is going to contest this. Even if they do, it's very clear what happened. So, in a court of law, which has a much more narrative way of argument uh, of um, arguing over a over what happened and what it means. Uh, than our computer systems, which are like, oh, you clicked, you checked this box or you didn't check this box. You know, the, the law is separate from our system. And so the moral of our story was uh, don't try to enforce the law. That's the moral. But there's a deeper moral, which is that you could, if you squinted, you could see that. This, there should have been a separation between the process of of how this document works and all the operations that are allowed on it and another layer which enforces certain other rules that are probably f- from some other entity like the government like the law that, we can't uh, that can change independently of us, right? And so that hints at this separation of there's the domain of contracts, which is basically a neutral idea of I'm sending you this written document, or I'm sending this document to multiple people. They will all sign it, and then when it's signed, it's it's done. Right, like we can't sign it or change it or anything like that once it's all done. Um, so there's that layer, and then there's this other layer which says, "Oh, if you have, if you send it within this time to this time, uh, it's gonna, you know, expire within six weeks." And there's all these other rules that are happening. Whereas at this bottom layer, we just want to have a notion of a document can expire. That isn't possible operation on a document but you know the the rules about when it happens or or how it's triggered you know if it's through the ui or if it's like a time-based thing all of that is a separate concern and you can tell it's a separate concern because those are things that change much more frequently this idea of a contract has a kind of universal uh, aspect to it, timeless aspect to it. Contracts are used; have been used for a long time. Uh, the The basics of them are well understood. The details are going to change. And so, what I'm saying is, we should separate out the domain model, which is how contracts work in an abstract way versus the business rules, which is how they work in our system, which has all those details about you know, how many people are allowed on your plan to, uh, that you can send a contract to. You know, Maybe on your $10 a month tier, you can only send to five people at a time. Right? That's a business rule. That is a clear business rule. It has nothing to do with contracts. It's about how we make money as a business. So, there's, you know, I'm trying to separate these two out because what we wound up doing at the company was really defining a really nice set of domain models for these processes that we had that were separate from the Business rules, and then the business rules could change a lot more. We could experiment. We could add new features. We could do you know monetization stuff where we we limit features to certain things. But the model at the bottom was all the same. Okay, I'll tell another story. Same company. Um, I'm I'm not sure if this is if this is absolutely correct, but it'll work in in the story. Uh, I think we discovered at some point that the law defined at least in Sweden, it defined the a contract is between two or more people. Which, you know, makes sense. Okay, two or more people, they're in agreement, they want to formalize it, put it down in writing. All right. And then as we expanded and got more clients, more more users, uh, there was a use case that was not covered in this, and that use case was that sometimes a business wanted to sign, not a person, but a business, where they wanted to say like, um, "We're offering you this credit card." And here's the terms. If you would like it, sign here. And it wasn't from a particular person. Um, likewise, if you are signing up for a bank account or something, you might have to sign a bunch of agreements. But it's just you signing as the person opening the bank account. It's just one person. There's no one at the bank who is also signing something. Or if you were renting a car, uh, you, you just you just sign. That I'm renting the car and I'm waiving the insurance and whatever. And you sign that, but no one else is signing, you know, the owner of the car rental place doesn't sign, right? So it's just one person. So that violates the law in a sense, right? Because if we encode the law into our contract model, then we can't satisfy this use case, which seems perfectly natural to do. Uh, so uh, we had to kind of back out and and take out some rules and validation and think about a more general thing, a more general case, which is what if a contract is between one or more people, or what if a contract is between zero or more people? So we kind of generalize and abstract it. Because maybe we never have a contract with zero people. But, I mean, we had to make so many changes when we had this two or more rule. And, you know, there were a lot of assumptions in the code about there being two. What if we backed out, just as a thought experiment, all the way to zero and said it was zero or more people? What would that look like? And, you know, you do that. And what The idea is you're making a more general system, which goes hand-in-hand hand with the idea of the data model being actually more general, more abstract, less specific to those cases. Still does the contract thing just fine, but it's more abstract, less tied into the details of your business, of, of the rules that you're following today. Of the law of today, or how you even interpret the particular law. So this is this is what I'm I'm trying to get at with the difference between your business rules and your domain model. So if you look at any business, you'd actually see this. Um, I in my book, I use the example of uh, a pizza business. You know, they make pizza. It's a restaurant and the domain of pizza making is pretty stable let's say right you know it's like it's some bread you put toppings on it you bake it someone pays money for it you put it in a box you deliver it you know whatever you do it's kind of it's kind of stable it's timeless but the particular business that's making it, that is making the pizza, has a lot of decisions to make. They have a lot of uh, processes that are proprietary. Making a pizza is not proprietary, but but perhaps the, I mean, here's here's a really good example. The particular recipe that is a business rule. Right? It's unique to your business. You make up the recipe and it is yours. But the fact that there is a recipe, the idea of a recipe, everyone's got that, that goes in your da- domain model. right? Likewise, a business is going to have to buy the ingredients from somewhere unless they grow it themselves, but that's, that's unlikely. So you have a uh, you know, you have to buy flour you have to make rules about where do we buy the flour from how how often do we buy it how do we ship it here how do we ship it to the restaurants how do we you know etc how do we count every week how much flour we have left so we don't run out you know there's all sorts of business processes that go on about that but the fact that you need ingredients the fact that you need to measure them with something like you know a unit like kilograms you know those kinds of things go in your domain model okay that they have a price right that they that they come from somewhere and have to get to your store like that kind of stuff is is part of the domain model and i think that a lot of value comes from that separation of the two okay because the domain model changes way less frequently so if you can if you can get that right then the business rules can change faster. You're changing less code, and you can iterate faster on your business. But likewise, that if you've got a good domain model, a well-designed domain model, that's a competitive advantage. So not only do you uh, can you use it in this fast-changing layer of your business rules. But it's giving you advantage, like oh yeah, we figured out zero or more documents, or zero or more signatories on this document, is actually uh, a more general case, and so we can approach this client who wants that for some reason, right? Or we are the ones that have figured out all the possible state transitions in this diagram, that goes in our domain model and then we can write a custom solution for you that has a different UI and a different workflow just for your documents. That is the that is the business advantage of a domain model. And I think maybe this will never happen, but maybe, you know, it could. It's in theory it could in the future. This is what programming, what programmers can lend to a business is this idea of m- being able to make models that more closely reflect the underlying domain so that when they code the the UI the business rules the validation they're using a more powerful construct underneath and they can iterate quickly with the top right and so what what i learned and some of the other programmers who were there from the beginning learned uh was yeah sure the 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 team the business team business folks are telling us a contract has to have two people you don't you don't just implement that directly okay you think about it when you say two people you really mean multiple people and we probably should at least figure out what it might look like to have zero people and that was we're just generalizing that's our job is to think past the the short term feature description that we would get and think more generally and say well we know as programmers that there's three cases there or there's two cases there's one and there's many and the zero case I don't know if that is that even makes sense, but there's one and there's many, right? If you're saying many, okay, now now it's not just two. Once you get past one, it's many. So many means zero or more. right? So you'd, you'd have to be more abstract and, and think, um, think a little bit deeper about the systemic quality of your model in a way that, you know the business people might not be thinking about. All right. So uh, I'm glad I got to share this story. Uh, I'll just recap just real quick. In the onion architecture, there are three layers there's the interaction layer, there's the uh, business rules layer, and then there's the domain model layer. And everything calls inward, right? Because it's an onion. The outside is the interaction layer, the inside is the domain model. And they're built on top of the thing underneath. The reason to separate out your business rules from your domain layer is because the business changes way faster than the domain. The domain, in theory, is something that you take this pizza domain and you can go to another business and and start building on top of it, even if it's if it runs in a totally different way, uh, because it'll have a totally different business rules layer, but. Uh, that domain model will still be very useful. That's that's the idea, and because of that, it gives you a tremendous business advantage, because you don't have all your code tied up together. You want to change one thing, you know, the law changes, or you want to service this client who needs a different document workflow. You haven't built the workflow in as this spaghetti code. You've separated out into layers. Oh look! All we have to do is remove our business rules layer, and our interaction layer. We still have this really core domain where that we've we've hardened, right? This works really well, and we'll build a new business rules layer and a new interaction layer. But we have this code that will work for anybody. That's awesome, right? Okay. So that is what I mean when when I um, talk about business rules versus domain model. Uh, it's it's subtle. There's choices in there. Sometimes it's a gray line. What goes in where? But there is like a a thick part <laughs> of that layer that's very clear of uh, where things should be. And uh, I hope this episode was useful. If you found it useful, uh, you can find all the past episodes at lispcast.com slash podcast. There you'll find audio, video, and text transcripts of all the past episodes. You'll also find links to subscribe. So look into the future. You can get all the episodes you want as they come as they are published. They'll come right to your phone or however you listen. Uh, you can also get them on video, etc. You can subscribe however you want. You'll also find links to find me on social media. Uh, you know this. W- this came from some questions I got uh, over email, and I'd love to answer your questions too. I love getting into discussions about this stuff. Uh, obviously, these are just my opinions, and I don't know everything. So I, I would love to uh, I'd love to hear your point of view and your uh, knowledge on this, because you know I I'd, I'd love to develop this more and, and understand it better. So, thank you so much for listening. This has been my thought on functional programming. My name is Eric Normand, and rock on.